when you're looking at a market, it's kind of like a soccer announcer looking at a team play and knowing where they're going to go next or having a good idea at least. And that is very true. And like, if, if somebody that's all crypto all the time went to the stock market, they wouldn't be able to predict it as well because the team is playing differently. So you, you can read all, of, but can you read the people? Can you read the environment? I think that to me is absolutely key in all of this. And it is probably one of the hardest things to do. So it's very psychological. Hello, investors. This is Danny with Investorly. At the intersection of education and opportunity, we empower you to invest early. In episode 23, we welcome back Kevin Svensson and Ave Eli, some of the best fundamental and technical investors in the crypto space. We learn about their beginnings, some of the tools they use when studying charts, their take on crypto projects with the most potential, and take community questions. The Investorly Podcast is brought to you by Dayslice. Dayslice is a storefront for services, empowering service entrepreneurs with more control of their business, brand, and audience. Their features include automated scheduling, payments, custom branding, discount codes, and a custom insights dashboard. Learn more today and sign up for free at dayslice.com. Use the promo code INVESTORLY to unlock their premium services for only $1. To stay informed of our community-driven podcasts and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. So let's let's get it started. Kicked off with you, Ave. Uh, welcome to episode twenty three here, and uh, let's let's get a little history on on you, your investing, and what was your very first investment? Okay, well, um, about me. Well, I, I tend to be a little bit more private on like the like my actual like personal stuff, but uh, as far as like my journey. Um, well, it's it's actually really interesting, I guess. Uh, it happened to be that uh, I had a friend who had a startup and he had a friend who was one of his key workers. One day this guy disappears. He was a basic like key to the whole startup that they were running. And then we find out that he was trading Forex. And that's like the first time that that came through my mind, that that was a thing. And this guy quits his job and then... Apparently, he made it pretty big. This was like back in like early 2000s. So to me, that was like a really big impression. And I was like, well, okay, so that's that's an option. Like people do that. And uh, from that point, I became really interested in Forex. And um, I think it's really, um, it really marked the way that I approached, uh, I guess, crypto now. Because if you really think about it, uh, trading currencies and cryptocurrencies, is uh, trading Forex is more similar than trading stocks, for example. The way, at least I like to think about it. Um, and so that really marked me. Um, and it just happened to be years later when I discovered uh, Bitcoin and things like that. I actually discovered them because I had friends of mine who were selling drugs and buying drugs on the black markets. Um, and so to me, it was always like, well, that is, you know, the, 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 I had a really sort of like obscure reaction about what Bitcoin was. And I'm talking about like, this is really early. Um, and that to me was like, oh, it's this, it's this internet money that people can use to buy drugs. It wasn't until like later, around like 2016, that in reality, like I was working at a... Um, a cloud company that shall remain nameless, <laughs> that uh, I was lucky to be there, surrounded by some of the most absolute smartest people I have ever worked with. 
and everyone there was all about Bitcoin and blockchain. And this is a cloud company, you know, infrastructure. They, you know, they did backup. They did uh, always technology servers, sys, you know, sys admins, really, really smart people. And everybody there was about crypto, 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 specifically Bitcoin. And me being there at the right time, surrounded by this, by this, by this smartest people that I have ever been with, that really marked me and set me on this path. Years later, uh, here we are. I think that's the the fastest that I can sort of summarize this without going, you know, into this really, really long story that I tend to just sort of drag on to a lot. So if I start doing that, let me know. The the earliest adopters, they knew it was just beyond, uh, way beyond the black market, um, <laughs> what we thought it was they, in about 2012. They really, they really did. The, the, the lead architect uh, at the company, and I'm, I'm talking about a really big salary, you know, really, really smart guy. He started mining Bitcoin really early, and he's the one who started, you know, just telling everyone in the company. And everybody, actually, this guy quit his job. And, and and they like the company was like, no, dude, like, come back. Like, we'll pay you more and more and more and more, like, just whatever you want. And 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 he's like, yeah, well, I'm going to live here and I'm going to work from home and I'm going to do this and that. I'm like, yeah, whatever you want, just come back. And everybody received that as a sign of this is this is something to, to really look out for. Well, thanks for the uh, for the intro there into your life. Ave. I appreciate that. And uh, Kevin, let's turn it to you. Uh, most importantly, where are the pump glasses? You said there were pump glasses coming at some point. Where are they? I demand to know. Yeah, I mean, we we actually were trying to. I was actually trying to make them myself, like create prototypes, and um, turned out to be a lot harder to make it look good than I thought. And then the manufacturer we talked to, they were asking for way too much per like per per glasses, essentially. And so it's just it's been on hold. You know what, guys? Kevin, you were here with us uh, at an earlier time, but I want to make sure that anybody that's just joining us maybe for the first time or hasn't heard uh, you know, from you or get a little bit of that story because you're a very prominent name in the Bitcoin community, on YouTube, and in the crypto in general. So maybe just a quick background on you, Kevin, for anybody that maybe hasn't heard of you or is just for the first time getting to know you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll keep it brief. I basically started trading when I was in college, trading penny stocks. And there were a couple lucky trades where I would turn like $90 into like over $900 on like a single penny stock pump, which kind of was like a drug. Uh, you know, being in college, you make a thousand bucks in a trade. It's kind of like, holy, right? Like it's pretty big deal. And so that's kind of what got me hooked. And then I started to, well, I continued trading for a while until I, was working actually in the film industry in LA. And while I was there, one of my his brother was there. We met up at a bar and he kind of just convinced me to buy Ethereum in March of 2017. Now I had had some introduction to before then. Me and my older bro- brother were buying a little bit of Bitcoin in like 2015. It was nothing serious until 2017 March. I bought Ethereum at $45 and it kind of just went up instantly and that also and i made way more just in that year than i ever had on anything else so that's what got me really hooked into crypto and then i started to essentially get into social media on facebook first i was kind of just spamming the ethereum facebook page talking about my predictions my thoughts 
And then I wanted to produce a video, so I did it, posted it on. Then I posted that video on the Ethereum page, got a couple thousand views, and then I just kept going. And then here we are today. That is the fastest summary I can pretty much make. From video editing in Hollywood, California, um, to kind of the Megas, if you'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a weird path. I mean, I was in L.A. working on documentaries. I was working for Chris Moore, who was the producer of uh, Goodwill Hunting and the American Pie movies and stuff like that. But I was doing documentaries. I was doing editing, assistant editing, and I really wasn't a fan. And my coworker at the time, she was watching me not do what I was supposed to do and trading in the office. And she was like, you should just go do that. Like, you care about that way more. And I was like, you know what? You're right. (laughs) So that's it. You know, been really funny is if you, one of your first videos, you were like in a cubicle and you're like talking and doing like a, a YouTube live or something like that. And your coworkers are in the back, like asking you like how to make these trades. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. Uh, Abe, I want to keep this going with you. Um, throughout your investing journey, uh, you did Brex and then got into crypto after that. Was there like a mentor or mentors possibly guiding you through this journey? Yes, actually, there was two really key people. Um, and, and funny enough that Kevin has this sort of similar story. I had a coworker. I was, it, it, she happened to be a, uh, a programmer by then, but she used to be a Taiwanese Forex trader. She just happened to be sitting uh, next to me at this, at this cloud company that I was working and I was really into Bitcoin and I was just looking at, I had the, I had the one minute chart up in my screen and I would just look at it all day. I had my, I had my monitors. I had two monitors, really big monitors. And I just had in one of them, I had the Bitcoin chart just going on the minute, on the minute, on the minute. And she used to be a Forex trader in Taiwan and she absolutely ended up hating it because she had to get up in U.S. hours and, and basically have an inverted schedule but she was actually tra- uh, she was trained by an additional a professional Taiwanese uh, forex trader in from the from like the eighties, and so he taught her and her brother, and then she taught me for a really long time at work, which was like it's so it's so it's so interesting that Kevin has sort of like the opposite story of this, but this is was the person who was teaching me was at work, but yeah, she, the, she the- hated. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to respond. You said like our our stories are similar and opposite. She had I had no mentors at all, but also with the workspace that we had kind of affected our lives forever. But you know, yeah, absolutely. And um, the the second person, I guess, or, or I guess team of people that influenced me is that I went through the whole uh, accelerator courses. Uh, I did the whole, you know, the deck, pitching for, pitching for, for money, raising capital, pitching ideas, pitching to investors, getting rejected, and I had a old school Wall Street money manager that he had suffered a couple of heart attacks, so he had to retire, and he took his time to just find something to do, and he started mentoring. Uh, through this accelerator, and he happened to be one of our, uh, you know, specific mentors for me and, and my company that we were trying to start up at the time while we all had jobs. And it was a really, really, really big um, 
opportunity to really understand like topics, you know, money racing, taxes, uh, EBITDA, all of these things that to me were just like absolutely not in my radar at all. Yeah, so his son was a money manager. His other son was a money ma- a money manager, and he used to money. Uh, he used to manage billions in the eighties, like one or two, which was a lot, like a lot. And um, he didn't, you know, mentor me in like trading or charts. He mentored me in markets, uh, thinking about what the street likes. And that's what he, that's what he called it, the street, uh, and uh, what finance people like, and what they look for in teams. Uh, and uh, I took that and I started looking for teams in crypto that way. It's like, well, people like that. So let's find the you know teams that I like and start looking for for you know for ICOs and things like that back in like 2016, 2017 era. And uh, yeah, that was a really big, big influence. So it's like the the forex side and the market side. Nice. Well, it almost sounds like uh, maybe Ave's coworker was also Kevin's coworker telling him to uh, to trade full time. Maybe it was the exact same person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ave, I wanted. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to bring you on. Uh, one is because you're one of my you're one of my favorite follows in regards to your conviction of, of, uh, predictions of charts, uh, whether it's Bitcoin or, um, you know, we're massive fan, fans of chain link. So a lot of link Marines in here as well. Uh, but I also wanted to make sure that you're a human and you're not like an AI machine because you're so spot on when it comes to so many predictions, uh, uh with your charts. Uh, and with that, I wanted to ask you something really significant happened from a, a macro perspective. Uh, and it was the, two-year and the 10-year bond curves inverted just about a week and a half ago. Now, what exactly does this mean and how does it impact equities and macro environment? So the market itself uses the 10-year yield as a sort of measure the fear in the market. When the money is cheap, right, interests are low, there's a lot to go around. And so when the 10-year yield, that's like the standard. Obviously, there's the five-year, there's the, there's monthly, there's two-year, there's the 30-year. But the 10-year is like the, the, the basic sort of barometer of the fear in the market or the, the risk in the market. And so when the two-year flips or inverts the 10-year, sign that there's no confidence in the market. And technically, when we have a yield curve inversion, usually what happens is that after it becomes uh, uninverted, there's usually a recession. It's not when there's an inversion, it's once it uninverts. And that is actually where we are at. We're back at, so we inverted, not fully to the 30. Now we're back in correct sort of rising yields and so that's that's a sign that there's there's a recession being priced in somewhere by some people but specifically when the two years spikes and spikes and spikes like what we've seen recently that is a really a big warning sign it's just a big warning sign um we don't know exactly how the fed might react we don't know exactly how you know bigger money managers might but it's just not the best sign so you, you want to have a nice you know yield curve 
it's fasc- fascinating to uh, to hear about kind of uh, the bond curve and, and some of the yield curve and, and talking about where we may be on, uh, you know, concern level. Well, I want to go to Kevin here. And Kevin, you're obviously, you know, consistently updating us on the metrics and what they're telling you. And you've put out some recent tweets talking about kind of how the last two to three months, whales accumulating, not accumulating, who's buying Bitcoin, who isn't. What do the metrics tell you now where we are and maybe where we're headed? Yeah, I mean, that's that that question is kind of broad. But um, just today on my Twitter I, or just an hour ago or something, I posted a chart with the 1,000 to 10,000 Bitcoin wallet address bands. And it shows that since the beginning of 2021, the, the whales with 1,000 to 10,000 Bitcoin have not increased their positions. So the question people always have is, why is Bitcoin behaving the way it is right now? Why is this different from the previous cycles with this like weird, slightly higher high double top and slightly higher lows on the macro? But really just sideways, you know, why is it like that? Well, if you look at that chart, you can see these whales have not increased since the beginning of 2021. And it, the chart the chart is actually leading the moves where that metric starts to come up and it actually goes up before we bounce. When that metric is starting to move down from a high, it goes down before we dump. So that address band from 1,000 to 10,000 Bitcoin is actually kind of driving the price price action and the the website chainexposed.com is the one that has this he he runs his own node and he has his data set in a certain way but um yeah i mean it's where are we headed from here wherever this chart you know kind of goes wherever the whales go and we are actually now at the end of the consolidation of these wallets where we're kind of like at a breaking point even though it could take a while it could take a while to actually get a major move to take. But I think that right now what these wallets are doing is actually waiting to get permission from the global markets, from the stock market, because I don't think that these whales are going to want to you know, take huge positions on Bitcoin and drive up the price just so that the stock market can fall on them and kind of, you know, they would be putting themselves in a pretty bad position. So I think what they're I think what the market's doing right now is actually waiting for permission from the stock market. And the stock market performing is what provides confidence for bullish speculators. The stock market performing poorly does not give confidence to speculators. And that's why there is a correlation. It's just about confidence. Um, So right now, recently, as you said, past few months, I've been just talking about how Bitcoin is very neutral. The price action is super neutral right now. And we have no confirmation on direction. Yes, you can make the argument that we have macro higher lows and it's still a bull market. That is true. It is still a bull market. We do have macro higher lows, but we are danger close to breaking that higher low structure and actually putting ourselves into a downtrend. So we, you know, we're just like right on the edge of like we either we're just going to can maintain the macro bullish thesis or we're going to start breaking the structure in getting downside pressure, and that is likely all going to have to do with the global markets and the stock market. And pretty much every time Bitcoin has ever had a macro downtrend, it was during periods of stock market instability. And we are currently in a period of stock market instability, which has what sort of turned on the the defensive mode for me. Got to play defense here. 
Stocks are not just stable or going up. It's very volatile. We have the yield curve inversion, all this inflation, Fed wanting to increase interest rates. It's just so much risk. And, you know, it's just like, I'm not going to sit here and just be a blind bull at this point. You know, there was a time and place for that. It's not now. That's how I feel. But Kevin, you said that uh, Bitcoin never correlates with the S&P 500. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a joke. Just so those who who don't know that. That's a joke. It's actually been so it's been so correlated that it's made me mad. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to get that in there because I feel like you uh, you have to reiterate and repeat yourself almost uh, daily when people are like, oh, you know, Bitcoin could go parabolic and the stock market can just tank down. And and you're like, wait a second, 80 or even or even worse, they'll say it's a hedge. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but Kevin, I wanted to keep it with you just for a moment here and say, uh, you know, you're in a very neutral stance. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of ability in the market. There's a lot of instability just on a macro perspective and globally in our in our environment. Uh, what kind of catalyst do you see up or down in maybe Q? Well, we're in Q2 now, I guess, Q3 and Q4 uh, that could either propel, you know, Bitcoin and crypto to a new high or um, could could go down, maybe correlating with the stock market if the stock market goes down? That's that's a really good question, I, because I think the answer to that is more so going the stock market. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of narratives out there, like this melt-up narrative, which I don't subscribe to, uh, but it's a fun and entertaining narrative to think about. Um, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities, I guess, where the Fed, maybe the Fed's going to take more of a hands-off approach, which would help the stock market continue up. But it doesn't seem like that's really where the route they're going to take. Um, in terms of Bitcoin catalyst, I don't, I'm not sure. This is kind of, this is kind of why I'm still leaning more towards a cool-off period where the market settles down, things that emotions reset, and then new narratives can build from there. That can be very powerful. I'm starting, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I was very neutral for the longest time, and I'm slightly leaning a little bit more bearish now, but still generally neutral. Um, you know, a few months ago, I basically said I'm neutral on the market. A lot of people got really frustrated with me for saying that. They pick a side, pick a side, and look at the chart. We haven't moved. It was actually the only correct call was to be neutral, which I, I look back now and laugh at that. Like people were so angry with me. It's, the price has done nothing. And it's like, well, good, good thing I was neutral. Um, but, you know, now Bitcoin's catching up with these long-term moving averages. And if we start to move below, then it's get looking bearish. But we're still right on the edge of holding the bullish macro thesis. I think I'm going off track of, off of what you asked me. Catalyst, I mean, ETF or um, maybe, you know, more countries adopting Bitcoin is another one. But other than that, I'm not too sure, honestly. Completely understand, and we're we're in a difficult time right now. So it's you know it's hard to, it's hard to predict. Like you said, it's neutral, and you know based on the metrics, it's not really telling you a lot. Uh, but we do have a, um, a question from the audience here. We brought him up as a speaker, uh, Sulam. Uh, if you have a question for Kevin or Abe, go ahead. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Kevin and Investorle. If I'm pronouncing right. Uh, sorry, I was just jumping late. Uh, I had a question for the uh, altcoin investors. 
especially uh, when we had investment uh, right when the bitcoin and some other altcoins i would i would specially uh, here uh, pronounce bitcoin that when it was spike up like it when went uh, up like 60 and it touched almost 65 66 and then small investors uh, invested on so what should they really do? Like uh, right now the situation, which is like moving to the side and we are in real trouble. That is quite a high trap. What should we really do? And what should the altcoins uh, investors should really do? Thank you. Or, wait, so are you asking if you invested at the top, what should you do? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Because it's a, it's a long time uh, since it, uh, it has uh, went down. Yeah, I mean, um, at this point, it depends on, I mean, I'll give an answer and then maybe throw it over to Ave as well. Um, but, you know, if you invested in altcoins at the top, you're probably already down, like, very significantly. And you have the option of either just holding it and hoping it comes back, or if it is a low-cap altcoin that you don't know if it's going to survive, you know, you maybe you cut that loss because um, if you don't know if it's going to come back, you might lose it all, right? So it depends on what you own. I mean, I'm not sure what you bought. You know, if it's a low cap, it's highly huge risk. If it's a, if it's a top altcoin project, then maybe you could just hold it and buy at the next major low or something like that. But it might take a couple of years to really get back to the high, possibly if the global situation becomes more unstable, but. And, well, and, and not to intrude, but I, I would love to toss this to Ave to answer the question, but as you mentioned, top altcoins, Kevin, example in your mind, and maybe Ave after, uh, an idea of a top altcoin that people that are listening could consider investing in or are researching to learn more about? Well, top altcoins, you, you can't go wrong with Ethereum, right? Um, and then you have Ethereum scaling solutions like Polygon, um, you know, stuff like that, really strong infrastructure, crypto projects. You have up and comers. Well, they've kind of already arrived, but things like Solana, I mean, they'll probably do well overall. Um, maybe top exchange tokens like BNB. You know, these are all like things that will probably be around for a while. Other projects like Chainlink, top Oracle projects that haven't performed very well, but will likely survive for a long time. It's like you're, you're just looking for, at the end of the day, the people who really win are the ones that are buying altcoins that will survive, right? Not the ones that are just going to pump and dump the most. It's like, which ones are going to be here? That's really what you should be looking at. That was, that was really helpful. And I think, you know, just throwing out some of those names for people to at least start to learn about if they don't already know is a great starting point to investing early. Let's go to Ave. Uh, and sort of take that however you want, Ave, in response to some of the altcoins and maybe some that you would suggest learning more about. Right. So just to sort of go back to Salim's question of, you know, what to do, you know, if you bought the top, I am a big proponent and I'm not a financial advisor. I am a big proponent of it's always it's not there's nothing wrong with buying higher. I know that that sounds really weird to a lot of people and, and like people don't really like to hear that, but I don't see anything wrong with like, okay, you are a specific number right now, cut your losses, 
One, if it starts going higher, then buy higher and then raise your number back up, right? Because then you're like, like Kevin says, you're risking a further downside if there's one, right? So it's so risk management is 100% to me, the most important thing of all that we do here. And it is the hardest thing to, to really do well because it's so subjective of how much risk you are able to tolerate. Um, so that's just sort of like my, my two cents on that. Now, as, as far as altcoins go, uh, yeah, so like, like Kevin says, so we, I, I think focusing on long-term definitely right now is, is the key to go. Um, there's like, like Ethereum, Ethereum will absolutely, I mean, I'm, I'm still a believer that maybe even one day Ethereum will flip Bitcoin and I'm not saying next year or, or, or anytime soon, but down the, down the road, I think that because a lot of the, a lot of the time when people say blockchain, they Ethereum really, um, I, I think that that goes back to that, to, to what I call there's cryptos. There's cryptocurrency, meaning there's projects who are actually trying to be money. And then there's blockchain projects. And there's a very there's a huge difference between them. And you need to understand that difference. Like what is money and which coins are actually trying to be money, like Bitcoin or Ripple or Dogecoin, right? There's there's coins who are trying to be money, Litecoin, and then there's really interesting, innovative. Um, blockchain companies that are more stocks. So there's there's the the environment that created right now in Web three is so diverse, and and calling everything cryptocurrency, it's a little bit of you know it's 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 weird. But going back to like what coins are in my radar right now, um, I really like Mina. Um, I really like the the idea of a super light blockchain, a 22KB blockchain and the way that they resolve Snapchats of the blockchain so that everybody can run a node in, in, in like the slightest amount of space. I really, really like that. Um, I think it's in this point, very sort of like what IOTA was in 2017, which was this really innovative way of doing blockchain that's, you know, it's still trying to make it. So I see it that way. I think it's really innovative. I think it has potential, but it's still in that let's let's watch. Let's see how it performs. Like I wouldn't buy it right now uh, because the, I don't like the chart. But fundamental, right? Fundamental, I really like it. Got it. Well, listen, I, I, I got to take a second here. There's been a lot of terms, a lot of different names thrown out, cryptocurrencies, blockchain nodes. Some of these terms are, are good to hear and put on a list and kind of take some time wherever you are, whenever you have the time to do a little bit of your own research to start learning what these terms mean, what these cryptocurrencies can do, and really familiarize yourself where the future may lie. Because if you start to do the research now, as things maybe turn positive or things become different uh, as we evolve and these become more ingrained in your daily life or society, you may have an advantage. And so just some of these uh, terms, which may right now sound wild, like when you say learning nodes and a super light blockchain and Mina, the protocol. And, uh, you know, we talked about Ethereum and Chainlink and Solana and some of these names, you may just be hearing them for the first time, but maybe it made to you uh, a really smart uh, future type of idea to just start to learn about them now. So I really appreciate you guys giving us 
some of the tip of what is such a complex, deep uh, subject and topic to talk about. And thank you for the question, uh, Salim. Yeah, uh, I, I have one more. Uh, I have one more thing before you kick him off the call for Salim. Yeah, go, um, go for you it. know, if you if you believe in what you bought, and you think it's going to return, and you you know then it's maybe okay to hold and wait for lower prices to average down or something like that. But if you think you bought a, an altcoin at the top that is not good and you, you look at it and you guys made a mistake, if that's what you think, then you should probably cut the loss. Some of the altcoins, you might think, this is good. I know I'm down, but it's good. I can average down if we go lower. And I'll just wait like a couple of years. If you bought a crap coin, you know, just cut the loss. I completely agree. I think that's really important. Um, so, so fundamentals. If you found if you found a gem, if you like the team, if you like what they're building, if you like the future they might have, absolutely. Um, and it really goes down to how long can you afford to hold. If you can afford to hold, hold, and like you said, Kevin, um, you know, average down. And then put more in once you see, you know, there's 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 a reason to do that. Um, year or two, we don't know. Um, and that's in the scenario that it might dip, right? So, or if it just continues where it's right now. So I completely agree with Kevin. I think it's really important to to, to bring back fundamentals into this. Right. Great points for, from from everyone here. I, I just want to add with the last point of of if you can. And depending on your timeline, if you're doing it especially long without using any leverage, that is my biggest advice uh, without leveraging yourself, especially if you have a long time horizon. Because if you bought at a higher price and now it's down and you can't afford to maybe average down or something like that and you did leverage yourself, well, then you'd have to sell or liquidate or something like that. So definitely uh, don't go beyond your means when it comes to investing. But we do have a a question here from the audience as well. Uh, Altcoin are. Ardvark, uh, go right ahead. You have a question for Kevin or Abe? Sorry to add to that. Um, yeah, I totally agree with the leverage. The minute you're in leverage, it forces you to either buy or or get liquidated and sell. Um, but I was going to add, like, if if you really do believe in the project, you should be averaging down into it the lower it goes. So um, I like to look at my money as almost an indicator in itself. And you know, I try to buy as low as possible, but for some of the people that have bought the top of these different altcoins, you know, it's it's pretty common that these altcoins will drop 80 or 90%. And it doesn't really necessarily mean that the project is quite dead. Um, if you do believe in the project, then you should be allocating a little bit of money into it. I, I wouldn't advise that you'd go and put your whole stack into it, but you could use your, your money as an indicator at that point. If it's down 80%, you believe in the project then that would be a good time to almost double down on it. And that's going to average in or average down your entry. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of add that. Like, <laughs> I know, I know you're saying cut your losses and whatnot, but I, I more so look at some of these small cap points and I'm like, ah, I'll throw five or 10% into it. And if, if that completely gets destroyed, then, oh, well, kind of thing. Right. I think it's a different story for people that have kind of aped into these projects. <laughs> Yeah, you know, also never never assume that it's the bottom. Assume that you know that it's the bottom because you don't. And, like, if you snipe the bottom one time, great. Probably won't happen the next 10 to 20 times you try to do it. So, basically, at a point in the market cycle, 
have no momentum, right? There's no momentum right now in crypto. At this point in the market cycle, what, what reason do you really have to overexpose yourself, to go and put tons of capital in the market when we don't really have directional confirmation, we don't really have momentum? You know, what's the point of that? You know, you kind of, you, you should probably just wait and watch. It's okay. Sometimes it's hard to do, but it's okay to wait and watch and see where things go. And once you get a real signal where you're like, that's the signal, then you can do whatever. But, you know, I would just say don't overexpose. Just see, you wait for confirmation, you know. And, and definitely be a robot if you can, <laughs> if at all possible. Uh, yeah, thank you for all those great points. And um, Ave, I wanted to continue with you. You've made some amazing calls in the past. Uh, you've you actually retweet a lot of your your calls that you've made maybe six, seven, eight months ago or something like that, and not on. And I wanted to know in your experience, what are what are the top indicators you use? The top metrics? Um, is it technical analysis, fundamental analysis? What are some of the things that you use to to kind of make these um, make these calls and predictions? Thanks, man. So. Yeah, so I, I start with fundamentals. That's that's truly where I start. I think the technical the technical analysis is very is very technical. You just you, you follow specific rules. The books you can you can you can learn the systems. So uh, the, to me, there's there's four must read uh, uh, people out there, which is you know Elliot, Wyckoff, Gan, or Gan, and uh, Livermore. Right, Livermore is more of a trader, <laughs> but to me, those—if if you read those four and you understand them, like you've got like eighty percent or ninety percent of the technicality of a market solved. If you understand them, if you dedicate the time. Now, I've dedicated hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and years of doing nothing. Seriously, like I've been in lockdown before lockdowns were a thing because I've been so into just absorbing everything markets for years. So that's a technicality, but I, I start in fundamentals. So you, you can read all, but can you read the people? Can you read the environment? I think that to me is absolutely key in all of this. And it is probably one of the hardest things to do. So it's very psychological. It's very psychological. Where are we? Is the current momentum a, 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 a real trend? Is it a self-enforcing trend? Is it a feedback loop? Um, and and we, we we get caught on those very much, specifically in crypto Twitter, where everybody says we need to always choose this side, never that side. And if you are on the wrong side, you get absolutely bashed on here. And so that is sort of like that reinforcing loop. And then when things turn, everybody just absolutely turns badly. And so the reading the people, reading the market, I think it's, Definitely my starting point. What I do, what are my indicators? So RSI, just simple RSI. I, I don't really go into stochastics because they can stay on, you know, overbought a long time and that's fine. Or they can stay on oversold a long time. I like simple RSI. I like MACD and I like, there's this one really um, moving average indicator called the alligator indicator. And to me, that's like the key. If you, you know, if you're above it, you're pretty cool. Once you start crossing it, then you know you're you're, you're being eaten by by the indicator. Um, it's really easy to understand. You know, you can you can just read it on like Investopedia or something. Um, you can get it on Crypto Watch. 
Um, and to me, like that's like really simple. Like I, I have a screen on 24 hours a day on the 12 hour chart with the, you know, with the alligator. And, and to me, it's like a really simple indicator. Another one is the HMA, which is the whole moving average. And I really swear by that indicator at like 20 close. Um, if you're above it, you're cool. Once it starts turning, you know, it really softens out like the peaks um, or like the wakes, wake ups or wake down. They, you know, it really softens, you know, the curves. And so if you see it turning upwards, it's going to go up. If you see it turn it down. Now, I don't really swear too much by any single indicator. It has to be a confluence of multiple indicators. You have to really just like how many times have we seen the MACD about to turn and everybody's like, yeah, and then it goes back down. Right. So you can't just rely on a single indicator. You have to have a broad perspective. The bigger the perspective you can get on the market as a whole, not just crypto, the markets that drive the markets, the bigger perspective you can get, the bigger, you know, the clearer the answers you might be able to find. If you have, if you're only looking at one specific or two altcoins, um, if they don't have a lot of hate, they're not a lot of, there's not a lot of liquidity, then it's a lot more complicated to do an accurate, uh, prediction. The longer the history, the quote unquote easier it becomes. And if you know where you're at in the broader markets, it becomes simpler, I guess, to, to be more accurate. And I don't know, I'm sure Kevin might absolutely be, uh, are in agreement or in disagreement in some of those points. And, uh, and I would really love to to hear uh, Kevin's point of view on that as well. No, I think I think everything you said was great. I just want to, before I forget, I would love for you to make a post on what you just spoke about with the self-enforced trend versus a feedback loop trend. Those are ideas that I personally have looked at and studied, but you should do a post on that or, or a thread and um, maybe differentiate the things you understand and then send it to me and I'll retweet it because I found that those are some of the most important things to understand um, in a market. Like, what, like why is the trend going, playing out in the way that it is? What, like what, are, what is driving it? And Bitcoin historically is very much driven by emotional feedback where the, 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 you know, every level that the price moves up the crowd that's in the profit zone gets bigger and bigger, which creates more hype, more excitement. And there's Bitcoin is so commonly driven by emotional feedback, but then sometimes there's other types of trends and the sort of the psychology of why it's going, the, why it's playing out that way is different. So I think you should make a thread on that. Absolutely. I'd love to. And I'll send it to you uh, when I when I get my mind sort of like the proper trends, because it can be a bit confusing. But yeah, I'll definitely uh, I'll follow up on that. That's a great point from both of you guys. And actually, Kevin, just yesterday, uh, we posted a, a video clip of you from from the last conversation we had. And it was you were talking about the thousands of hours dedicated to staring at the charts and uh, the difference between staring at them minute by minute, hour by hour, and day by day versus somebody who just glances at them once a day, and it's akin to someone that makes uh, someone who's an announcer for a soccer match or or any other sports uh, sports event. And if they've been doing it long enough, they can predict what the players are going to be doing and how they're going to react. And the same thing goes for charts. 
So guys, if, if you guys, uh, just to kind of put that in perspective here for the audience, if, if there's people that are like, oh, I've made some amazing trades and I've been doing this for six months, know that it takes a very long time to fully understand a chart's behavior, the indicators or the technical analysis that, that um, Kevin and Ave have been talking about. Um, and definitely learn from these guys. I mean, they're giving some serious alpha drops here. So, Well, I think the, uh, the, that I want to comment on that analogy where I said in the last one, when you're looking at a market, it's kind of like a soccer announcer looking at a team play and knowing where they're going to go next or having a good idea at least. And that is very true. And like if, if somebody that's all crypto all the time went to the stock market, they wouldn't be able to predict it as well because the team is playing differently, so to speak. You know, they're going to kick the ball in this direction, not that way, the way that you're used to. Like what certain pattern plays out on one team, not going to do that on the other. So that is a really good way of, of looking at it. I wanted to keep the conversation going here. And Avi, I'll start with you when it comes to NFTs. It's it's exploded over the past just couple of years here. It's It's still new in the crypto market. The crypto market is still new to many as well. So the NFTs is kind of like another layer below that. Uh, what's your take on NFTs and what do you think the future of NFTs hold? Well, as an NFT creator myself, I am all for them. Um, <laughs> obviously, I right? Didn't, I didn't I make... know that. That's amazing. Talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll retweet some of my, my, my own, you know, original work. But that's, that's not the question, right? So the question is, so I think NFTs are absolutely going to revolutionize the world. I think they're going to go beyond what we're you know, currently using them, which is, you know, collections of artwork um, and, and like identifying crews and uniting people and communities. All of that is extremely positive. But I think that once NFTs go and become your medical records, we're going to be thinking about that very differently. Or like they can keep uh, track of so many different things and, and tie them directly, uniquely to you, specifically when you utilize something like a Chainlink Oracle that, you know, creates a hybrid NFT or, you know, and, and that, that allows you to, to change the information inside of it, then it becomes a whole other realm of possibilities. Like, I cannot even begin to imagine how far people might take NFTs and they're, they're just, they're very, very, it's a, it's a way of proving ownership anywhere in the world at any time so writing it to to prove ownership of artwork or to prove ownership of of of, of like yeah well, well basically yeah artwork that's that's what they're known for right now right or collectibles but they will become your house deed they will become your insurance they will become so many different things there's a lot of possibilities for them of what you need to prove unique ownership anywhere in the world like it can become your passport at one point, right? Like it could be that. I'm not saying it's going to, right? Because there's a lot of, so much red tape in what I just said, but there is just so much possibilities to what they can become. How many times do we need to prove, you know, it could become your driver's license. It can record the points on your driver's license. You know, it can become your credit score because it's tied directly to you. There's just so many different avenues. I don't think that we have even begun to truly understand where NFTs can go. They're just so revolutionary. Wow. So I guess you're bullish, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I am. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, Kevin, uh, what's, what's your take on NFTs? You said it's, you, I know you said several months ago when last time we spoke, you said it, you feel like it's in a bubble, but the, the potential is very big for NFTs. Yeah. I think that NFTs are, I mean, he, uh, you know, Ave already kind of said it, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be endless use cases for NFTs and they're going to change the world in so many ways in pretty much what he just said. Right. But the, the point that I made on the last video so let me just put this out there i've been wrong about them so far in terms of where i think they were going to top out they've exceeded that so there's something that i don't see about the nft market there's something about it in the way that it's being driven that i don't fully understand yet which is fine i mean it's a new market and i don't really you know study it all that much i just know what the psychology of a bubble you know how it usually plays out and if you look at like the, basically you get huge parabolic trends, massive overvaluation. And the reason why things are overvalued in an emerging market during the initial bubble phase, the reason why that happens is because of improper pricing, because of lack of understanding and lack of knowledge. Market participants don't know how to price a dot-com name in 2001. They don't really know what actually is. So they're paying way too much. And people are paying way too much for these stocks. And it drives the price up, 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 until there's just no one left to drive the price up. And then the prices come down to fit way below fair value. And then you go to the medium where it should be. And I believe that NFTs are currently in the overbought. They're totally, you know, they've gone parabolic. They're still going up, some of them. Um, and eventually, you know, it's going to be so overvalued that market participants are going to realize, you know, wait, we're paying way too much for this. Then it comes back down from the initial parabolic phase, way below fair value. Usually these bubbles do like a 90% drop. And then it goes back up to fair and then takes a few years and gets to a new all-time high. But I don't think we've seen this um, bubble pop yet for NFTs. I mean, clearly not, right? But the way that the market's moving is something that is a little bit different because of how NFTs are traded. It's not like stocks. It's not like cryptos. So there's something about the movement that I don't have a grasp on yet, but I'm very confident in a bubble pop. But long term, just like Bitcoin, I expect hundreds of thousands of percent returns on NFTs. All right. Very fair assessment. I appreciate that, Kevin. And we have our brought up Vlad as a speaker uh, for our last community question. Vlad, do you have a question for either Kevin or Ave? Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for a great conversation. Uh, really great questions and uh, really deep uh, answers for Kevin and Ave. I was a follower for, for uh, of Kevin for quite some time. Now I'm following all of you guys because really some really alpha knowledge was thrown on us uh, here. And I kind of agree uh, almost 100% with uh, everything that was said. Uh, just a question for Kevin. Uh, uh, my tactic uh, for last year, I started, uh, let's say, five years ago, and I always been in like seven coins. And... Uh, uh, just in the last year, from the peak of the market, I was just averaging, uh, not looking into the dollar the amount that is, uh, or putting some, you know, cash on, on the side. I was more focused on um, 
reducing number of coins in the right moment, uh, comparing, you know, and trying to be kind of momentum investors, just exactly for reasons that you guys mentioned. So I just uh, was able to substantially amount of tokens that I believe, let's say, you know, I don't have any problem to say Chainlink, VeChain, and Cardano, and actually I get even uh, Cardano 50%, and I move some into the super small uh, at the bottom now, like Umbrella Network. So I'm just asking what what he what he's thinking about tactic uh, that I'm describing, just averaging and try to increase the amount of tokens uh, that you believe, not really escaping from it. My biggest worry was that I'm just not going to miss the big boom on, on those, if you can understand exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, Vlad, I mean, uh, I appreciate you always following me. I've seen your name and my notifications all the time for many years now. And so, you know, it, it's like, is it the right strategy to just keep averaging into the coins that you believe in? And, you know, if you believe in the coins, then it is, right? It is the right idea. Um, but I would say that you have to really be looking at Bitcoin engaging the overall market um, because, you know, ha- having that feeling of if I don't get in now and increase significantly right now as much as I can, then I'm going to miss the big boom. You know, that's, that is not really a rational mindset. It's not really the mindset that you want to be using. Um, because, you know, if you if you might just totally if you, you have that mindset where I don't want to miss the big boom. So I need to average up or average in like a lot, you know, in crypto, we've seen long periods of sideways and down and you might just totally exhaust yourself before the real best prices actually come in. And at this point in time in the market cycle, I think that because there's a lack of momentum, it's OK to sort of sit back, relax. And, you know, not be too afraid of missing the biggest move in the market, right? I wouldn't be too afraid of that yet. If you already have exposure and you already feel good about your exposure, that's the key thing. It's not about being as, you know, it's not about maximum exposure, right? Because that is a FOMO mentality and it's not going to really end well, probably, um, unless you're willing to just wait very long periods of time, no matter what happens. So I would say, you know, don't be overexposed all the time because of fear of missing out. You know, it's okay to relax when the market's doing what it's doing and nothing's happening. You know, that's a sign for you to maybe just wait to see where we go. Where's the direction here? Wait for confirmation. And um, just know that, you know, the top altcoins will probably return eventually to the highs. The lower caps, it's uncertain, right? But, um, you know, it's okay to just be patient, take your time, no rush, you know, especially in this market environment. We do appreciate the question. Uh, those are those are great, great questions and great points. And uh, Kevin, thank you so much for that answer. Um, did want to uh, get to a close, but we do have, uh, I, I always like to end with a couple of rapid fire questions, uh, rapid fire personal questions. Uh, Kevin and Abe, are you guys ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. I'm not sure about yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. So, Kevin. The answer is, is 42. <laughs> yeah. It always is. <laughs> yeah, the, the stable coin, right? Um, 
Kevin, your uh, your hobby, your favorite hobby outside of investing in crypto? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is is making videos. You guys have seen me do like memes and stuff. I also worked in the film industry before. But so yeah, video editing, video creation. I love it. Okay. Ave, what is one thing you do in your daily routine that you think has contributed to your success? Meditation. Absolutely. Um, it just it has allowed me to to just be mindful of so many different aspects of myself and how I react to things. But I wouldn't call it a hobby. Like I'm, I like playing my synthesizer. That's that's my hobby, <laughs> right? Or like like doing doing some cuts, you know, on Ableton. Um, I like that. That's a hobby that it's very private and and, and like I'll I'll create some really amazing low bass sound waves and I'll just you know rock the windows and then I'll just get it out of my system. Um, but meditating, meditation, I am a huge believer in that. Kevin, what's your what's your go to drink after a long week? Uh probably a Peroni. Good, it's pretty good Italian beer. Oh, nice. Okay, Ave. Uh, what is what is a, your favorite city that you've visited? Rome. Okay, very nice. And why is that? Oh, it's 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 basically the ancient capital of the world. I mean, it's just it's 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 beauty everywhere. Um, it's just it's way out there. Like the sculptures, everything is just amazing. Like even, even how fast they drive. Yeah. I've been to Rome. I know. Yeah. 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 It's one of my, I like, I always wanted to go to, to, to Istanbul. I just haven't had the opportunity to compare, right. To, to really get, you know, two capitals and maybe Xi'an in like in China, but for now Rome, cause it's where I've been. Okay, perfect. Kevin, same question for you. What's a, what's your favorite city that you visited? Oh, favorite city. Uh, my, one of my favorite places is Costa Rica. Um, one of the most cities. I'll I'll just go with the uh, with Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> how how uh, appropriate on four twenty to to name Amsterdam. <laughs> yep, it, it it is honestly like regardless of all that stuff. It is honestly just a really cool place. Okay, and last question for both of you here. Ave, who inspires you the most? Oh, that's a really, really, really deep question. I mean, there's just so different there's there's a lot of different people. Um I I, I could take hours trying to answer that. I mean, forgive me for saying this, but since we're talking about markets, I'm gonna say George Soros. I know. Not his okay. politics, just the markets. He's a genius. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm gonna go with that because that's, that's 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 related yeah, I mean, to I, I don't, I don't like him. I don't like him, but he is, he's <laughs> extremely good at what he does. I mean, he's also yeah. kind of a bastard, but <laughs> he he literally like destroys currencies for profit. Which yeah. you know, if you have that kind of control. Then yeah, yeah, I mean, who can't who can't make a billion dollars? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, he, so he, like, he, as, he is smart. He is very smart, though. Yeah, as a market participant, you know, as a player, I guess I you know I can find inspiration in, in what he has done, not necessarily outside of the markets. Let's just put so it. So wh- where do we get the uh, Soros trading signals from? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be in the correct Telegram. Gonna buy his course. 
That's great. Uh, very last question, Kevin, who inspires you the most? I, I was, when you said that, I was like kind of stumped. I'm like, oh man, I don't yeah. know. Um, now I also, I also make music on the side and one of, one of my favorite inspiration or one of the people that inspired me the most to sort of like dream big was actually Armin Van Buren. Um, he's a trance music producer and I think he was like very inspirational in like my youth for just thinking big. Like it's so hard for me to explain what I mean by that, but he was just an inspiration. We'd like to thank Kevin, Ave, and the community for a great conversation. The Investorly Podcast is brought to you by Dayslice. Dayslice is a storefront for services, empowering service entrepreneurs with more control of their business, brand, and audience. Their features include automated scheduling, payments, custom branding, discount codes, and a custom insights dashboard. Learn more today and sign up for free at dayslice.com. Use the promo code INVESTORLY to unlock their premium services for only $1. To stay informed of our community-driven podcasts and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. Investorly, empowering you to invest early in yourself.